Well, welcome to the One Hope podcast. We are in season four, uh, episode nine. I think Joel uh, said it was episode six last time. It was way off. It was eight. And uh, I am not Joel Price. Uh, I'm Peter. And uh, so I'm not going to be able to do a as professional job as Joel Price does in moderating these uh, these discussion times. But but fortunately, we have two professionals who are with us, and that would be <laughs> Irene Martinson and Matt Mysteric. So I'm just going to try to keep up with them as we uh, as we do this uh, podcast discussion. So we looked at Zephaniah on Sunday. It's kind of was the theme as we kind of hit a minor prophet, so one a week. And uh, as I kind of shared at our Sunday service, I thought I got through all of the really tough books about the wrath of God and judgment of God, but that was wrong. I forgot about Zephaniah. So a lot of judgment of God, a lot of wrath of God stuff in Zephaniah, some really cool stuff too, particularly at the end. But, um, you know, we kind of looked at kind of landed on that analogy um, of um, my house being a kitchen remodel and, and uh, doing a demo uh, on your, uh, on the, the room that you're remodeling. It has, to, everything has to go, everything has to be wiped out. And that's a sense, in a sense, kind of where we landed a little bit where I landed on, and you guys can push back on this too. Uh, as I, uh, I know Joel loves for you guys to push back, or he's usually the one who pushes back on me, but um um, that God was doing a demo on Israel and Judah in that whole period leading up to the exile, and he's getting things ready for the coming of the Messiah, and so he's rebuilding, he's, he's preparing for the true temple that would come, and, uh, and so kind of looked at it a little bit of Zephaniah in that way, the, the wrath of God is flows from his love, it is, uh, he, but he's got to do this complete remodel the complete demo kind of cleanse everything start over he can't use our raw material and um um i guess where i went with the readings then kind of out of that i mean there's all kinds of places you could go with each of these books but um really landed on kind of that the the dynamic there of if god's doing the demo on us if we're looking in that respect or even on israel um kind of it gets down to his lordship i mean that he is in complete he needs to be complete Lord of our lives. There's a thing about complete surrender. And, and so I picked passages that kind of wrestled with that a little bit or really kind of called out the Lordship of Christ issue, total surrender, wholehearted, we looked at, you know, Caleb reading and um, kind of with the kind of maybe have um, the discussion around the question of why, I mean, why does God call uh, us to, um, Fully surrender. Why can't it just be, you know, mostly surrender? Why can't it be just be good subjects as good as you can be? Uh, but no, it's, he seems to, he seems to call, you must take up your cross and follow me if you're going to be my disciple. Um, and, um, and so I guess, why is that? So that's, that's where I would suggest maybe we kind of start the conversation, but as always, uh, we'll let the Lord lead and you guys can redirect or ask any questions you want. So uh, any any thoughts from either of you come out of either the message on Sunday or the, or the readings this week or either related to that lordship topic or, or uh, something else that you want to share? Um, I really like the demo analogy. I, I think maybe I get it because we did do some some of that in our own house. And 
and yeah, there you really can't um, you really can't put something new on top on top of something that's damaged. And I, I think that's part of it. Like when we did our kitchen, we discovered uh, rot in some of the cupboards and some of the flooring, and so we had to take all of that out and replace it because you we didn't want to put new cabinets on top of rotted floor because then it would just it would still be a mess so and I kind of feel like there's yeah I mean it makes a really good analogy for why God has to why he wants our total surrender because he can't he does work with damaged people all the time but I mean it's hard for him to I don't know I shouldn't say it's hard for God <laughs> I, I don't think it's a complete restoration if we're still carrying around our rot with us um because then yes. that would just get into everything uh -huh. but, um, yeah but, i think uh, we're we're um where i still have questions or maybe I, you can help me or you can kind of wrestle with this together um because i really do believe there this is i think it's there's a really important truth here about the demo thing and you he can't work with our kind of raw assets. He's got to start over new. But there's, I think there can be a danger of kind of a, you can turn that into a legalism. Like, okay, now I, I got to cleanse myself in order, to, in order to kind of get grace or something or get God to rebuild. And that's, uh, that's not what this is about. And so, um, you know, I think I did throw in the whole thing about, well, we're not doing the demo he is, he's the contractor, but um, how, how do you wrestle with that? How do, how do you keep this from moving into kind of a legalism um, effort? I guess I think it's all about relying on God and trusting him to do the work um, instead of trying to do it ourselves, which is really difficult because mm -hmm. we live in a world and in a time and a place where do-it-yourself is is highly um looked upon with favor uh like you know if you do it yourself you pull yourself up by your bootstraps you know and and take charge it's it's considered all good and it's i i don't necessarily think god wants us to wallow in our sin or just not you know be content and i don't think he wants us to be content with where we're at but to allow him to do the work is also pretty hard that that surrender I think maybe it doesn't feel like enough of an action and yet it's also hard to do just because it's hard to surrender everything. Mm -hmm. You know, one uh, of the passages that I thought was really, well, two of them that I thought was, I mean, I picked them, but I, cause I kind of want to wrestle with them is that, um, you know, there's the one passage that he says, you know, take up your cross. You, you must, you know, uh, take up your cross and follow me to be my disciple. You must, you know, hate, hate your mom and dad. And, you know, there's obviously hyperbole happening there, but it's, there's uh, uh, there's this, you know, there's this call to follow him and it's, you know, to take up your cross and other pastors says, take up your cross daily. So it's, in other words, following Jesus is like going to your execution. Um, and yet in that rich young ruler passage where he gives this hard word to the rich young ruler, you must leave everything, you know, to follow me. In, it's in the context of these little children being brought to Jesus and, and him saying, unless you accept mm -hmm. the kingdom like a little child, you're not going to enter it. So, uh, so, or come to me, all you're weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And so, you know, there, 
it's all about, it's like falling asleep in the arms of your parents. That's what, that's what faith is. And so, and yet they're related somehow. So I think there's a, there's a clue there and how, what that really means to, um, to take up your cross or what, what following Jesus means. It's yeah. The, uh, the, 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 the passage, uh, about the, the little children, um, is that in the Luke? It's in the Luke or the Mark? I can't remember, but it's yeah. um, it's an interesting one because we don't think of kids, you know, earning their salvation by works. I mean, it's completely grace. It's the grace yeah. of, of of parents. Little kids um, are they are who they are, and they they're they're loved unconditionally um, for that. So that's that's reassuring there the other thing i don't know where which ver it, it was oh it was in it was in the um in the zephaniah verses there was a, a section where um zephaniah is recounting you know the judgment the wrath to come and, and why it was coming and one of the things uh, one of the, the statements made was that they they no longer are my children the children they're no longer seeking me or inquiring after me Mm -hmm. which I thought was interesting because it's not, not just a matter of legalism. It's not a matter of doing these things or checking these boxes. Like God just wants to be sought. He wants to mm -hmm. be pursued. He wants to be sought. He wants to be, he wants our questions and who's better to give quite, you know, kids are all about questions. Why this? Why, 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 why? Um, I think, I do think God wants us to wrestle with him and i i think part of it is just the seeking the pursuing the inquiring after um and that when you mention the children that section about the children uh must we must we must go to god as a children as a, as yeah. a child would that's kind of what yeah. popped in my mind yeah and that's good that, that's the mark passage and it, it's you know it's a picture of total dependence you know a child is totally dependent on their parents whether they know it or not, you know, they, they maybe not can't articulate it, but they are. And, and so that, as we get, as we get older and more mature, we, we think we can kind of um, take on some of that responsibility ourselves. And so I think that's, I think it's related to the demo. It's part of, part of, you know, emptying ourselves, coming with nothing and total dependence on, on, on the Lord. And that is, mm -hmm. is, you know, somehow, you know, the, part of the key to the Christian life is is that um, coming to his children but it's the lordship of it's the lordship of christ um it is taking your cross and following him but you know it's it's in the context of coming to him as a little child and that kind of trust relationship of of love well i think like one of the things that jumped out at me in the zephaniah passage that we read um and it's <laughs> it's not it, it, it's it like you know and kind of coming at it, the same question sideways uh it's in verse nine he says for at that time i will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech that all of them may call upon the name of the lord and serve him with one accord and i think about that um you know god's going to change the speech of the peoples um to a pure speech what whatever that is and um it's I, again it's that that total reliance that god is going to give us uh -huh. what we need we're not we're not going to go get it we're not going to create a new language that's pure speech and uh -huh. figure out how to speak it together god's going to change uh -huh. our speech he's gonna uh -huh. um provide a way for us to call on him and i 
I think about that, especially with Jesus being um, called the word in the gospel of John and how he is then becomes the, the way that we see God um, in the New Testament. He, he is God, but he's also the way that we seek God mm -hmm. as our savior as, as because he died for our sins. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe I'm taking my speech word thing too far, but, um, but God provides a way for us um, to call on him and mm -hmm. to seek after him. That's again, not dependent on us at all. In my, I'm not sure, just an interesting little tidbit in my study for the message, because there's that pastors there about purifying their lips and and uh, one, there's one commenter or something. I just noted that <clears throat> apparently there's no swear words in the Hebrew. <laughs> I mean, uh, for, for, for ancient Jews to swear, they had to borrow swear words from other languages around them. Or the, maybe that's why they started doing Aramaic, because there's more swear words like raka and those kinds of things. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. No swear words in the Hebrew. So all these you know this the steady uh, march through the the minor prophets thank you again for that peter um uh the, the steady march through the the minor prophets has been eye-opening and this one there was something different about this one the wrath in zephaniah is just singularly um comprehensive i guess i mean it just yeah. basically goes country by country it's just like yeah. it's even one he says oh the kushites yeah i'm going to destroy them too it's almost like an afterthought he's already brought yeah. after all these other right. nations it's like yeah. oh i almost forgot the kushites but then there's like one verse yeah about the kushites. yeah so it's just huh. the, the the sweep and the magnitude of of the the breadth of it in Zephaniah is huge. And then, of course, it comes all the way back home to Jerusalem. I mean, a lot of the other minor prophets are predicting the fall of Nineveh, uh, you know, Assyria, whatever. But this one, and it comes right back around. Uh, it's clear that it's, I mean, it's Jerusalem. It's, and it's a lot easier to do somebody else's uh, a demo. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot easier. I like going to other people's houses and helping them with their demo. That's fun, but yeah. when you have to do it on your own house, yeah. that's when it gets. That's when it's harder. And mm -hmm. then I think that's one of the things that's so difficult about Zephaniah, and maybe one of the reasons why Zephaniah. I read this summer. Zephaniah is the one minor prophet that who's not like read in the synagogues on okay. uh, festivals <laughs> and high holy days. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> um, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's tough, but it is. I mean, like the, like you you both were talking about earlier. I mean, the demo has to be complete. You can't put rot up on uh, on a partial demo, and you know it's there was good reason why God was demolishing these other countries, but there was also good reason why you know He had to do a hard work on 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 the jewish people as well so yeah mm -hmm. and there's definitely i think it, there's hyperbole in zephaniah there there's it's poetical light i mean those first opening verses that we read on sunday was like i'm going to wipe all mankind from the face of the earth period nothing will be left and then, oh but we're gonna have this remnant over here that i'm going to leave you know it, so obviously it's it's a poetic uh, license there but um 
but the meaning is is the clean, clean sweep. He's got to do a like you just said, Matt, a, a mm. deep a deep cleaning, a deep work. Yeah, there's that. It's in verse. I have it up on my screen over here. It says right before the one about the pure speech, the verse nine and verse eight. It talks about for in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. It's like wow, that's yeah. We're not. <laughs> yeah, it's a. I think it is more of the full wrath of God, and and it, I think I mean definitely in the other minor prophets, we're getting there's the wrath of God element in each of those but i feel like it's it just seems a little stronger in zephaniah um he's not leaving anyone out um, yeah it was helpful for me to kind of realize though as can we talked on sunday that because he is, he seems like such a such a negative downer type prophet you know doom and gloom but but that he got to be a part of the greatest renewal movement that israel's ever had under josiah's leadership and i i, I do have to believe that uh, he was a part of that and that uh, mm -hmm. I can't imagine he wrote that, you know, after Josiah did all his reforms. It must have really been an impetus for it. So, and, and then the, all the joy at the end, you know, that he got as a as a father that rejoices over with was singing. I mean, just that he could have that level of tenderness in his view of God as well. So there's more to it than just the the uh, the judgment. Hey, I, I Sunday was also Reformation Sunday, and this is a this is kind of interesting. Thought too about the wrath of God because Martin Luther was a guy who hated God because of the wrath of God and he was afraid of God and he spent all his monkish days trying to earn God's favor and hated God for it because he can never measure up and he worked so so hard. Then he has this conversion, you know, experience um, and um, there's a process there. But as it, as it happens, he, I mean, he gets free. He gets more light. Um, and yet, uh, if you look at Luther's writings, I think he gets even more set in the sovereignty of God and even God's wrath on sin. And yet it doesn't bother him anymore because promises of Jesus, he, he cleans the promises of Jesus. Um, and yet, um, yet there's still that sovereignty of God piece, probably even more so with Luther after his conversion. And um, I don't know if we had how, how to phrase this question or, or where exactly where I'm going with this this part of the discussion, but something to do with I think back to the legalism thing, that I think um, I think when Luther thought he was supposed to do the demo and suppose he was supposed to do the building, he just saw God as his angry God, and finally he came to see that God did it all. He was the one doing it that freed him. So. Um, Yet I know that for myself personally, in my own Christian walk, I go back and forth from those two perspectives all the time. It's so easy to fall back into <clears throat> feeling like I've got to um, try harder. You know, I've got to cleanse my cleanse my heart. And uh, even if I technically know theologically, that's not the case. It's, I, I slip into that. So um, I guess maybe the question is, and I kind of maybe said the at the little intro, but we we did Hebrews, once for all. He 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 died on the cross once for all, and so there's an aspect in which the demo's been done and the remodel is complete, and we were it's the righteousness of Christ. And yet, Paul and all the other apostles talk about this working it out with 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 fear and trembling. Work out the salvation with fear and trembling. The there's this almost Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. There's this daily aspect, and so. 
it gets back to some of our previous podcasts where we have already kind of talked about the whole sanctification justification thing a little bit but you guys have any thoughts on that and just as far as how the, the kind of balancing the one it's a once and done thing yet there's also this daily walking it out i guess i i, I know that it's once and done but i feel like we still live in a sinful world and we're waiting for Jesus to return. And so it's once and done for eternity. But while we're in this place between the cross and between Jesus's return, we're, even though it's finished, we're still living in a place where it doesn't feel like it is, or it like we're, the, the change is slowly happening, but we're, I don't know. So I, I think because of that, we need to keep, I don't know. I say we need to, I, that sounds <laughs> legalistic. I, uh, I think the, the process of remembering <laughs> that it's one and done is, is, uh, is something that we, that that's that working out with fear and trembling. And I don't know, it's still working out as much as it's, I actually need to remember this between the time I wake up and pray and go get my coffee in the kitchen five minutes later. Um, you know, <laughs> how easy it is to forget when you, you know, get up and trip over something and go, ah, how terrible is that that I trip? Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, that's a silly example, but I mean, like, that it's, it feels like we're surrounded by so many distractions and temptations and, the hardships that it's it's hard for us to and even joyful distractions um it's hard to keep our eyes fixed on christ and it's not mm -hmm. that it isn't finished we just forget that it's finished mm -hmm. um yeah yeah I don't, I don't know yeah i think the 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 last um scripture of this week the first peter uh, chapter two scripture is, is instructive here because it talks about uh, the living stones being built into a temple that we are living stones talking about I mean, go back to that demo imagery right um, we have to I think this 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 fits perfectly there because in order in order, in order for those living stones to be able to take shape and into into um, be built up as a spiritual house you have to go through that demo first and then God's the one who did the demo and he's the one who's building us through in, you know as as spiritual stones um and that's a lifelong process I guess right I mean it's mm -hmm. his work his work is still being done through us through the process of sanctification um yeah but we, we still have a ways to go for us to to to, to rise up to where um where we can be um to be that you know mm -hmm. royal royal priesthood um which is a that's <laughs> a pretty lofty title um yeah well it kind of goes back you know ephesians uh ephesians 2 you know uh by grace we've been saved through faith this not of ourselves gift of god not as a result of works that no one should boast for you know we are his workmanship creating christ jesus for good works that we may walk in them so there's it's like it's you know it's the one and done saved by grace it's all his work and yet we're his workmanship his masterpiece i think is technically what that word means so he is building us into that he's, he's getting that fleshed out over time as you said tyrene and and 
I don't know who was it was you Matt or somebody else and one of the podcasts talked about the economy of God is different than our economy and and I think the time the, the time you know God sees it all you know, if he's outside of time he sees everything now so Jesus died on the cross now we're made holy and righteous now we're already complete now and yet we're kind of stuck in time and seeing that process over our lifetime happen like as you kind of shared timing anything else jump out for you guys at the uh in the readings or or just in the message or just any thoughts on the series in general well i was struck by your sermon on the sun uh, sunday peter and that sort of the history the context of of king josiah and this being he was actually one of the good kings mm-hmm. and so this is one of those sort of frozen moments of time where where things were we're, we're going well and for the for the for the, for the Jewish people and they, they their, their worship was back on track at least temporarily Hezekiah had brought it back and then it they flopped again and then Josiah came in you know those the endless cycles that that happen in biblical history um yeah the uh the the history of of, of just to me it's this it just it's the importance of having good leaders too good godly leaders i mean and, and how valuable that is mm-hmm. um and i mean that's 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 true across all time you know even mm-hmm. in even in our generation too you know we want to mm-hmm. ironically today is <laughs> as we're having this discussion about the good and bad kings of israel we've got mm-hmm. netanyahu being uh uh today was reinstalled as uh as the head of state in, in Israel, you know, man. Oh, I miss, I miss that piece of news. Yeah, he's back. He's got corruption charges against him. He's being, but mm. he's, you know, you talk about the corrupt kings of Israel here. We have a supposedly, possibly corrupt prime minister mm. who's now back in power. I don't know. I'm not judge and jury here. And he, yeah. he uh, you know, I suppose innocent until proven guilty, but it just shows the importance of having good leaders, not just in Israel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But people of integrity and and uh, honor and social conscience. Mm-hmm. Uh, so go out and vote, people. Next Tuesday, <laughs> election day. go vote and go vote as some good leaders. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Vote Josiah. Yeah. <laughs> vote Josiah. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> right. I'm going to do a write-in ballot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I am. Um... I think so the first time I read all the way through the Bible I read the minor prophets by themselves and I did that a couple of times and it was really uh it took me a while to realize that how closely they were connected with first kings and chronicles and the stuff going on in there and once I figured that out it made a lot more sense hmm. like the wrath made more sense the the hope made more sense the 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 promise of a remnant uh made more sense because mm-hmm. and, and so i'm really thankful that you're bringing the historical context in, into the messages on sunday because without that i feel like it it just they seem very like strange um yeah they, they seem mm-hmm. very harsh i think mm-hmm. with the historical context you kind of get a sense of okay this is why god called these people to speak at this time and it's it's not to say that it isn't applicable today it's just that 
it's helpful to know why it was spoken originally too. Mm -hmm. um, but it is still, I think sometimes extremely applicable today, whether it's seeking um, and hoping for good godly leadership, um, even looking at, you know, this is from first Peter, but in the context of Zephaniah, um, thinking about, you know, God calling his people out um, and, and saving them, but also that, you know, to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, you know, what is, what does that look like in our lives today? Um, what is, you know, how do we apply that to right now? Um, and, and what, even with what Zephaniah says, um, to be, to, to just be, have God singing over us. What does that look like? How does that feel to us right now? I mean, it, it's good to have the historical context and it's good to think, okay, what is, what does it mean to me right now? Um, and so it's, but it's nice to have both. Mm -hmm. So I would recommend always reading the prophets with <laughs> a little bit of historical <laughs> context because without it, it, I don't yeah. know. It, it's yeah, you do need, yep, you do need the context. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, the Hebrew Bible in many ways is or is organized in a much more palatable way because it sort of breaks up the prophets. They're not mm -hmm. all there. You don't have all those all the wrath and judgment of those minor prophets all teed up mm -hmm. uh, one after the other. I think, and I think the Hebrew Bible actually act, ends with Chronicles, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, the, the Chronicles is included in the. The writings, the different category of, of genre, you know, and with the Psalms and Proverbs and Song of Solomon and, and Chronicles. I'm not sure how that works, but I like what you said, um, Tyrene, about trying to figure out what it means in today's context for God to be singing over us, because that is a beautiful image. That's one, you know, it's a beautiful image that's stuck in a in a <laughs> in three chapters of, you know pretty horrible description of a lot of things uh, but that is that one really pops out and mm -hmm. I haven't it's not one that you hear very often and again yeah. taking it back to the idea of it, it reminds me of Jesus you know let the children come to me that and mm -hmm. I mean that's Jesus Jesus loved the children he held you know I that we've all had the picture of all the the, cheese, the the children surrounding Jesus and him laughing over them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the, the image of God, the father, you know, laughing or singing over us, I think sometimes is mind blowing. Mm -hmm. um, and what does that mean for us today? Um, I have to, I have to give that some thought. I think we all have times in our lives where it's, we would want to be sung over there may be also times in our life where we're too proud for that. I know me as a man, I'm probably going to be sung over. I need this. <laughs> um, but um, no, thanks for thanks for that. I'm going to have to give that some thought this week. Yeah. Yeah, somehow all the, somehow the wrath and the judgment is related to the singing over. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, it's um, almost seems like God is bipolar a little bit, <laughs> but he's not. He's, you can sense the hurt too. If he has got that level of love to sing over us, his children, and yet when we, as you know, we or just humanity, runs after other gods, after 
other idols, whatever those may be. We're rejecting, we're rejecting him and, uh, and, and we're hurting us too. It's just, it's, we just, we, we hurt us. And I think that gets back to the, where I, I think I really have found it helpful just to be thinking in, in terms of the Lordship of Christ, absolute surrender as, as just the absolute best way to live. I mean, it's just, I mean, we do it because he's God, you know, for no other reason, being at the same time, um, there, there is no, it's, it's for absolutely for our benefit and we are his kids and he loves us and he does sing over us and he, uh, he wants us to trust him wholeheartedly as Caleb did, you know, I love that passage, you know, I named my son and over after Caleb and, uh, at my Caleb's baptism, I, I preached on that text and I, I looked up the etymology of the word Caleb and it's actually <laughs> the word Caleb means raging with canine madness. <laughs> 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 and I think the idea is it's a wholeheartedness, you know, like if you've ever seen a dog that's just intent on a chew toy or, or just, I, you know, I'm not a dog person, but you know, just kind of, you know, it just, you know, it has single focus on, you know, on uh, some, neighbor dog or something, I don't know, a cat, uh, raging with canine magnets, just, just consume focus. And God wants us to that, have that, you know, Caleb, apparently he was, had that sense with God. He's wholehearted. That's the sense of wholehearted. God wants us to have that. I guess dogs, I think of the way that they, they absolutely love on us. Even when, even like the, the moment when you have a dog, the moment you walk in the door, they're like, you're home. You know, I mean, it's, they're so hard. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that is the, the, maybe not raging with canine madness, but at least enthusiastically. In, with canine madness. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to say that. Well, just the Caleb story. That was one of my favorite texts this week. And one of the things I love about it is, well, one of the things I think is instructive about it is how Caleb had no expectation that he was going to get his reward for his wholeheartedness quickly. I mean, he came to Joshua when he was 85 years old (laughs) and said, well, you said 40 years, I'm back. <laughs> I mean, he 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 had every expectation that that pro- promise would be fulfilled, and I I think you know we can have that expectation with God as well, uh, in in His time that His promises will be fulfilled. But you know, He had the patience to, to come back at age eighty five. But the other thing that just makes me laugh about that story is when he says, "I'm as I'm as stout and hearty now at age eighty five as I was at age 40. Five. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. maybe it's because of that canine madness, madness that kept yeah. him yeah. fresh and vigorous yeah. all those years. But uh, <laughs> not. It's a good story. Anything you else? Know, I, yeah. I got to tell, tell you one quick thing that I just had. Yeah. Just apropos to nothing, it's just sort of a random bit of information. I was listening to a podcast yesterday when I was walking my dog, uh, the Holy Post podcast. Peter. Yeah. And they had a bit on Old Testament uh, archaeology, and it was these this new uh, these new scientific findings by a group of geophysicists that did a bunch of magnetic dating of Old Testament sites that had been burned and leveled to the ground. And they these geophysicists went to seventeen different sites and found and basically their their studies corroborated everything that's in the bible in terms wow. of the destruction uh, of you know 
Egypt, the Arameans, the Edomites, I mean, on and on and on, based on magnetic, the, 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 uh, re the recording of the magnetic fields in the ash layers of these destruction sites, they were able to corroborate that all this stuff wow. took place. It's, wow. and it's again, it just sort of verifies yeah. the extent of, of the destruction that was right. happening in the world yeah. at that time. Um, so it, it really happened, you know, yeah. We, we, yeah. Well, I just, I mentioned, what was it? Uh, when we did, uh, Nahum, yeah, I just, you know, may, may raised the point that, uh, they, nobody even thought that Nineveh was a real city, <laughs> that the Bible just made up this city Nineveh because it wasn't mentioned in any other historical records. I guess it was, it's got so wiped off of the human record for, for thousands, you know, thousands of years but uh, but yeah then in the 1800s they found it all just exactly how you know with all the records and Arshur Bonapal and who and his record his library was found yeah so that's pretty cool the bible holds up there's a reason not very many people know <laughs> uh know anybody named Tyrene and it, my parents thought they made it up but uh uh, they did make it up because they they came up with it creatively themselves but still uh, it's actually i done research because i don't know i'm an only child ego maniac i guess but anyway <laughs> <laughs> but uh and i wanted to know if there was anybody else out there with it but uh if you were from the city of tyre which we know is destroyed in biblical times you would be called a tyrian which is not how oh. i pronounce my name but it's the same spelling yeah oh yeah very bizarre sense. thing and there are uh there are and they were known for purple cloth selling and, and purple dye it's just an interesting but i have a feeling that part of the reason that my name is not very popular is because it's from a destroyed city like <laughs> there are a few other people out there with it but i yeah it's not exactly <laughs> yeah all right anything else before we close it out all right. Well, let me let me pray for us, and um, and we'll uh, uh, go our way. Lord Jesus, thank you so much uh, for your word. Your word is is true. Thank you just for uh, just the evidence that keeps coming out that uh, backs up uh, the scriptures, and and uh, but even more than that, uh, you back up your word just by your faithfulness in our lives. You are the God who who uh, sings over us and. Uh, and yet you do call us to absolute surrender. And, and that can sometimes feel like just this difficult, um, kind of like pulling teeth, like, like you're going to your execution. And yet you are the good surgeon. And so we, we go into the knife, trusting that you uh, love us. You, you have what's best for us. And so, uh, Lord, we, we do yield to you, your work in our lives, your, uh, your, your, um, uh, you know, you call us to wholeheartedness, but you are wholehearted toward us. You, uh, you love us so much. You've given us everything. And so, um, so we, we just kind of land on and cling to that scripture that we do so often that we've been crucified with Christ. Uh, the demo has been done in Christ. It's no longer we who live, but Christ lives in us and the life that we live. Now we live by faith in the son of God who loved us, sings over us, gave himself up for us. So, Thank you for your goodness, your grace, and that you have completed it all, and yet you're fleshing it out in our lives day by day as we trust in you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.